worship. And uh, I really believe with all of my heart that God today is honored in our, in our praise and in our giving and in our presence uh, and in our love. A couple of uh, quick announcements I want to make before we begin today. Uh, you know, there's an anniversary happening this morning. Anybody knows whose it is? Joyce, whose is it? ITC's. 166 years this church has served faithfully in this community. 1853, we began telling people about Jesus, and it's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful heritage, so we need to celebrate that with, uh, with great joy. Um, also, I want to just make a very brief comment about uh, uh, an email that I sent to many of you. If you're on our email list, you'll know that this uh, past week at our General Assembly, uh, for the very first time, um, we as a denomination took a step toward, it's not a final decision, but toward endorsing, if you would, uh, the um, LB, LBGTQI uh, constituency, uh, being able to be married in our denomination, and also to be ordained to the pastorate and to the eldership. Um, <clears throat> uh, it's a step toward, it's not a final decision, there's a process called the Barrier Act in which this takes a year uh, with numerous approvals along the way, including acceptance of the same at next year's General Assembly. Uh, so it's far from a, a final decision, but it is a significant step. And um, uh, we want you as elders to know uh, that uh, we take this uh, with the utmost seriousness, like we really, really do. Uh, we are as concerned about this step as any of you are. And... Um, what we intend to do is, is to take this year, uh, which we have as a denomination as the discerning process carries on, and to be wise and thoughtful, uh, to take the year to prepare well for any eventuality, and at the end of that year, depending on any decision, to be able to provide this congregation with clear and definite leadership as we look to the future. Um, our concern, first and foremost, uh, is uh, not against gay people. Uh, as I said in, my, in the email, we are to uh, love and respect everyone. And we do that here. And we welcome everyone here. Um, but what we see here is a step away from historic Orthodox Christianity as taught by Jesus and his apostles. And as a result, uh, it's, it's taken with utmost seriousness. Um, we are going to call a meeting for uh, the congregation to come. We will share more detail and we will listen. Uh, and we will do that very soon. So you will have opportunity to express yourself uh, in any particular uh, fashion. And uh, we will deal with this together. But we will remain faithful. And we will remain true to uh, that orthodox historic Christianity as a congregation. And we will follow God as God leads us. And, and I also want you to know that there are probably about half the churches in our denomination as, as troubled today as we are. Uh, and uh, they are going to have to deal with this reality as, as we will with them. We'll work in conjunction with them, actually, as we move forward. But what we want today is to not allow that decision uh, to distract from our focus. God is really at work at IPC, and uh, we don't want... That's all, I'm, that's all that's going to be said today. <clears throat> We're going to call another meeting to deal with this, these matters later. But we really want to stay focused on the vision that God has given to us and the way God is directing us and the sense of um, urgency and passion and joy that we anticipate as we look to the future with this blueprint 
for what God has called us to. So we're very committed to that. We are absolutely committed to that. And we will stay focused on what God is leading us to. So let me pray, and we will jump into what God might have to say here today. Gracious God, we're just thankful that you're a sovereign God. We're thankful that you're in charge of all things. And uh, Lord, we just, we just praise you that you are blessing this church as you are. And our Lord, our prayer is that uh, you will guide our church very clearly and definitely as we go into this future, especially over this next year. Um, we pray that you'll guide our denomination and uh, that we will remain faithful to your word. Um, that Lord, now, here and now, what we pray is that as we continue to talk about our vision this morning, our, our blueprint about how to make that vision a reality, that you will come by your spirit in a unique and in a powerful way and that you will speak to us corporately as a community of faith, individually as people who love you, Lord. Help us to hear from you. Help us to hear your call. And Lord, help us to go into the future as a congregation which is passionate to do your will and to see great, the kingdom come in, in a remarkable and in a beautiful and in a powerful way over these next years. So Lord, lead us, guide us. <clears throat> and even now, Lord, be in uh, these moments that we might hear from you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I find very interesting is that uh, this three-part vision series, which concludes today, uh, follows not immediately after, but pretty quickly after, uh, our whole focus on the story. The fact that God has this grand narrative for the world that began in Genesis, you know, and, 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 and because of sin that we engaged in, you know, a tragic implications came into his creation, but he's got a plan to restore everything, and it takes us all the way to the book of Revelation, so that at the end of this grand narrative, we will be back again to the, the Eden reality. No sin, no suffering, no sorrow, no more crying, no more death, and we will know God. God will be with his people, and we will be with him. It's, an, it's a remarkable plan that God is enacting in this world of ours. And, you know, in the end of the day, the reality is we as a congregation, we as individuals, we get to participate in that upper story if we wish. We get to say, Lord, what are you doing in this time and in this space? What is it that I can do to step into the movement of your spirit in this world to bring about exactly what it is that you wish to bring about? Um, and as we look at this vision, what I'm realizing is, is we just need to decide, are we going to step in? And are we going to step in with energy and with passion and with conviction and with incredible joy to participate in what God is doing as we move forward um, uh, as a congregation and as he moves forward in this world? It's possible to say no to that question. I would suggest to you lots of churches don't. They just do what they've always done because they've always done it. And they never really are engaged in the things that God is accomplishing in this world of ours in a powerful and in a significant way. So my challenge in these sermons very simply is, IPC, think and pray and look, envision a preferable future. Look to the day when we have more dynamic and creative worship, when we are a people of, of deep discipleship, spiritually mature followers of Jesus, you, me, change so that we think and feel and desire as Jesus thought and felt and desired so that we actually live like him. You know, can you see that reality unfolding here? That we have family ministry so that after kids are born into this church and grow up about 
year 20, they are solidly committed followers of Jesus, going into this world, whether it be here or elsewhere, to change the world. The idea that, that we would be a, a church which has incredibly effective leadership here in all areas of ministry, that a prayer movement will have taken place, so much so that we are calling out to God to act, and God is acting by his spirit in remarkable ways. Um, my friends, can you see that reality? Can you dream that dream? Can you envision the possibility that we can give ourselves to with passion? What I've just described to you, I'm calling the foundational realities of our vision, and there's one more to address today that we're going to speak to, but I want you to see the vision. Vision is visual. Imagine it and become passionate about it as we have as elders so that you can enter into it and give your all to it. So today... Uh, foundational reality number six. It comes to us from Nehemiah chapter five. It's a remarkable chapter. All of these sermons, all of this biblical teaching that's, that's foundational to vision is coming from the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. And you know, chapter five is really not what you would expect at a time of such visionary change and dynamic. Um, Nehemiah has become the governor of Jerusalem. He is in charge. The walls have been built. The doors aren't hung. The gates aren't hung. There's still a vulnerability to enemy attack and so forth. But remarkable things have happened, but something is brought to Nehemiah's attention which he could not leave alone. Do you know that defines leadership? You see something and you cannot leave it alone. And you have to step in and lead others to see change come. Well, I'm going to read to you about this dynamic and I want you to hear what it was. Nehemiah 5 verses 1 to 5. Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. Some were saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. In order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. Others were saying, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our homes to get grain during the famine. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, and though our children are as good as theirs, we have... Yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Now let me describe to you what's going on here. The people of Jerusalem who are poor are in incredible difficulty, not only because of the famine, but because of their increasing indebtedness to the wealthy families in Jerusalem. Um who are charging interest on the loans that they are giving to these poor families in order that they might eat and survive. As a result, as they struggle to pay back these loans, they are losing property. The, the poor among the people of Jerusalem are giving up their homes and, and, and their vineyards because they can't afford to pay the mortgage on them. And very literally, they are having to sell their children into slavery in order to pay their bills and to survive. Their basic comment in this, we are doing God's work in building the walls, but in the process, our children are being taken from us. So Nehemiah, I want to tell you, as the text I'm about to read to you says, he speaks into this and he is angry because of what he sees. Nehemiah 6, carrying on to verse 11. When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them and said, as far as possible, we have 
bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. They kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. So I continued, what, are you, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? I and my brothers and my men also are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. Give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and houses, and also inter the interest you are charging them, 1% of the money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. <clears throat> Here's a man who is gripped with the with the justice of God. Here is a man who looks at this scenario and says, this is just not right. This cannot continue. He's saying, this just doesn't make sense. We're building walls so that the glory of God can be seen by the surrounding nations, yet treating each other in a way which is ungodly and ultimately will bring us disrepute. And guess what? Our God, the same. And he challenges the wealthy to stop treating people this way and to give back what has been taken from them. He challenges people to have a heart for the poor, to be good to them, to be generous toward them. And it's a powerful challenge in the name of God. Before I tell you how the, how the uh, wealthy of the city respond, I want to tell you that as with all good leaders, what Nehemiah does is lead by example. Verse 510, we're not going to read it again, but basically said, you know, I am not charging interest I'm not doing what you're doing. And then he, verse 14 to 18 says this. Moreover, from the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, until the th his 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the, the people. But out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. Furthermore, 150 Jews and officials ate at my table as well as those who came to us from the surrounding nations. Each day, one ox, six choice sheep, and some poultry were prepared for me. And every 10 days, an abundant supply of wine of all kinds in spite of all this, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy upon these people. See, my friends, what Nehemiah is saying here is that in this instance, he as governor was allowed to take an allotment. He was allowed to be paid for, the, for, for his food and, and, and for his drink. Not only did he refuse to do that, but he also said, fed 150 people a day out of his own pocket in order to bless them. And the whole idea was I'm not going to take extra funds from the, from the people because the tax burden is too heavy. And I don't want that to happen. And I want you to notice, it says in verse 16, <laughs> let's read that again actually. Instead, I devoted myself to the work in this wall. All my men were assembled there for the work. We did not acquire any land. See what Nehemiah is saying, his focus in his heart was on getting God's will done. It was not on getting rich and taking advantage of the poor. You know, a lot of land was available for sale that day, and he could have bought it up, and he could have made himself a wealthy, wealthy man. Well, here is the response of the wealthy to the challenge that Nehemiah brought, verse 12 and 13. 
We will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything from them. We will do as you say. Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my rope and said, in this way may God shake out of their house any, and, and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. So may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this, the whole assembly said, amen, and praised the Lord, and the people did as they had promised. You know what Nehemiah is doing here, my friends? He is forming the people of God. He is, he is challenging them that they might have the mind of God, that they might have the heart of God, and that they might live out of that reality with incredible generosity and compassion toward people who have next to nothing. There's a principle in this, and I want us to hear it this morning. And it is very simply this. God has a huge heart for the poor. God has a passion that justice be done to the poor. You know, the reality is we see this out throughout the whole Bible, but you know what? The followers of Jesus often don't see it. Very often our focus is on ourselves. We get forgiveness. We find grace. We're caught up in loving, wonderful community. But we don't see the call of God to care for the poor. So I'm going to read to you some passages. And by the way, I could do this for the rest of the day. There are so many of them. But just some to illustrate the reality that it's there and it's powerful and it's real. Psalm 82, verses 3 and 4. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Isn't that what Nehemiah is doing in that moment? Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Isaiah 58, 6 to 11. I love this passage. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? It's a suggestion. This is how to fast. To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. It is, is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, the refugee, the alien? When you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you. And listen, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You want to show the glory of God, this is how to do it. And then verse 9 and 10, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. You know, powerful, powerful passages appealing to God's people to care for the poor, the needy, the broken. Psalm 35, verse 10. My whole being will exclaim, who is like you, Lord? Isn't that an interesting question? Who is like the Lord? You rescue the poor. You, God, you rescue the poor from those too strong for them. The poor and needy from those who rob them. And isn't that what Nehemiah is challenging with vehemence? You know, there's, there's just such power in these words, and it's not just contained in the New Testament. Think about the New Testament. Jesus came, Luke chapter 4, he said he would proclaim good news to whom? That's a good answer. Jesus said he would proclaim good news to, come on, tell me, the poor. The poor financially, the poor spiritually, the poor emotionally. But it includes those people who have absolutely nothing. Matthew 25, Jesus is describing the day of judgment. The day when, uh, which the whole Bible points forward to. 
And he says to some people, that what you have done to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done to me. Who are those least of brothers and sisters? They are the hungry, they are the thirsty, they are the stranger, they are the naked, they are the sick, and they are the imprisoned. They are the vulnerable in society. They are the people who are at the bottom of the rung economically. They are people who are struggling with incredible need. And what Jesus is saying in that day, if you really knew me, and if the love of God was within you, you would not leave them alone. You would step in and you would love them in my name. There is evidence of your faith. It's a dramatic passage. Finally, I'm not going to read it to you, but James 1.27, true religion to care for the widows and the orphans. Who are the widows and the orphans? They are people in that day, in that society, who had no means to provide for themselves economically. They were the poorest of the poor. And true religion that God deeply values and admires is when his people have a compassion for such folks. See, what's being said here very clearly is God cares deeply for the poor. And so must we. So must we. The last section that I'm going to describe to you, the last foundational reality that I'm going to describe to you in our blueprint is the foundational reality of mission. And it plays out in three parts. The first is the local mission that we will engage as a congregation. Um, For six years, we've done ministry in downtown Woodstock, helping the least of these. Helping the poor, helping people who are at the bottom, if you would. We have loved them, we have fed them, we have befriended them, we have brought them into community and shared that community with them. We have shown compassion. 40 to 60 people are now meeting on Tuesday nights, uh, our own people included, in order to, min- to do ministry, that God might show up, that we might share Jesus with people who don't know them, that we might love him, b- them both in terms of practicality and in love him and telling them about his truth. And I want to tell you, my friends, God has been at work among the people whom he loves. I'm going to ask Joyce to come up. Joyce is uh, one of our pastors here, and she's the one who's giving leadership to what we're doing downtown. And she's just going to tell you a couple of stories about what's been going on downtown. Awesome. So much has been going on downtown, and so many uh, lives have been impacted. This year we saw a real transition um, from folks who were lonely and struggled in life coming for dinner to to having more and more homeless folks drop in and visit with us. And um, that brought a a certain dynamic that um, made it very challenging to make sure it was a safe environment for everyone. I want to tell you about uh, Jesse, who uh, Jesse and Heather moved um, from the... Chatham area and we're in Woodstock starting in about February. I'm not sure if you heard about the body found on the train tracks near the Via Rail station on, um, on April 30th. That was Jesse's body. And it broke my heart that this 23-year-old guy, drug addicted in a life in turmoil, that I wondered, did I touch his life enough? Those half dozen, dozen times that he came to dinner on Tuesday night or Saturday night. Did we do enough to speak into him that he was a child of God, that he was valued and created? 
by God, and he was loved by God. After Jesse, was, his body was found on a Tuesday, so Tuesday, April 30th, as we gathered, we were remembering some memories and remembering his life and thinking, did we do enough? And then Wendy, one of our, our champions, she's an older woman, she's, she's known Christ throughout her life. She said, you know what? I met Jesse a couple weeks ago at Tim Hortons, and I recognized him from Tuesday dinner, and I talked to him, and I wondered how he was doing, and he said he was having a really horrible day, and I asked him if he knew that Jesus loved him, and Wendy was able to bring Jesse into a relationship with Jesus. Jesse was able to say, okay, okay I accept God. I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. That didn't solve all of his problems. But what a joy we were able to celebrate as a community knowing that even through everything that Jesse went through in his young 23 years, that he knew Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. Because of you, because of your generosity with allowing my time, allowing some of the IPC resources, this young man was able to know Christ. And as a community, we celebrated his life a few weeks later. And again, we had opportunity to speak into the lives of homeless and drug-addicted folks to say, you know what? I, I brought the message of when Jesus said, in this world you will have troubles, but be aware that I have overcome the world. So I was able to talk to folks about their troubles, but how ultimately we have victory in Jesus Christ. This Thursday, I went to a Raw Carrot retreat. The Raw Carrot is a social enterprise where people on ODSP, Ontario Disability Support Program, are employed and able to find meaningful work. And we talked about the mission and vision and values of the Raw Carrot. And those build so closely, those tie so closely into what we're trying to do in downtown Woodstock. How we're trying to instill in every one of those 50, 40 to 50 people that they are a much-loved child of God. They were made in God's image. Soup's just a byproduct of us wanting to instill deeply into people that they have value. I want to tell you about Lisa. I hope a lot of you know Lisa. Lisa's an incredibly inspirational woman. She does not participate in the downtown ministry, but I was able to get to know Lisa, and that's her dog, Benson. Isn't he cute? When I was a not-so-young student doing an internship here at IPC in 2012, Lisa came up to me and said, Joyce, I want to hear about life groups. I need to remember to breathe. Mm. And... Lisa told me a bit about her story. I sat down and we had some Coke together because that's, that's what Lisa likes to drink. And Lisa told me about her tumultuous life, how her other siblings were taken out of the home and life was just rough. But in high school, she got to know and was befriended by this incredible Christian young woman who eventually led Lisa to know the Lord. Lisa went off, she lived with some Christian families and found stability in what she called a normal Christian home. She finally knew what it was to be part of a, a um, community that knew and loved her. 
1999, Lisa was riding her bike and she was hit by a car. She suffered a broken femur, a broken ankle, a closed brain injury, and that just ripped Lisa's life apart. Fast forward to 2012. Over a period of time, she was feeling incredibly angry at God and incredibly angry at everyone, she told me. But she knew she needed to make some changes. She was living at Indwell, but she was incredibly lonely and angry. She knew she needed to make some connections, so she started coming to IPC, and she wanted to be part of a community that would help her grow in her faith. And she found an incredibly loving life group that was transformational in Lisa's life. Through the love and care and support, she became to gain more and more self-confidence, and eventually uh, she started working at the kitchen in Indwell, and then an amazing woman who made soap decided to give Lisa a chance to have some more work. Does everybody know Danielle Paluska? So Danielle came alongside and mentored Lisa and gave her skills and confidence so that Lisa was able to move on to work at now she works at the Giant Tiger. And I picked Lisa up after work. We have a picture of Lisa in front of the Giant Tiger, I think. I picked Lisa up after work on Friday, and she said, at Giant Tiger, they don't look at me as someone who's depressed or struggles with bipolar or struggles daily with pain. They just see me as normal. And she loves that. And that is what we want every single person who's employed at the Raw Carrot. We want them to know they are a much-loved child of God, and they have value and worth just as much as any of you. And do you know, we have a society that just beats them up, but they have value. So we want to communicate that in intensive ways, because when we're doing mentoring one-on-one, we're giving people the dignity of work. We're emphasizing their abilities and not their disabilities. We are honoring God. We're doing what we are called to do. Some people have some questions about the raw carrot, and I would love to answer them. I would love to tell you more about the folks that are going to be impacted. Um, I'm around. I'd love you to come Thursday night to the River of Life. We're going to have information sent session there, but we, um, this, this ministry is our ministry. No matter what happens in our, in our future, we're taking it with us. <laughs> Thank you, Joyce. <clears throat> Defend the cause of the poor and needy, and we're doing it. We want to see it happen so much more. Um, in, terms of, in terms of local mission, we also want to develop partnerships. We want to invite other churches and ministries in Woodstock to find their way of serving downtown. We want to give leadership to the Christian community there so that people can, and, and churches can come in. Is it a food pantry? Is it a shelter overnight that they might provide as used clothing? That's for God to lead them in, but we're saying we've stepped in. We want you to come and join us. 
And in the end of the day, we want a profound Christian witness operating out of down, in downtown Woodstock so that the world can look and see the glory of God in his people. You know, we have, we have invited, uh, as, as has been mentioned already today, uh, this congregation to provide $50,000 above and beyond normal giving uh, in order to see the rock here at start this October. It's a lot of money. You know what I did this week? I, I took my little, well, my cell phone and I went to the calculator and I divided $50,000 by 210. That's the number of people who give or families or units, if you would, to IPC. You know what, you know what the number is if you divide 50000 by 210? $238. $238 per giver can make a huge difference in the lives of the people God calls us to serve. Some can't do that, not able. Some will choose not to give. Some can choose to give a whole lot more. My friends, we have opportunity as God leads us to provide, to resource this thing so that God can do remarkable things in the lives of broken, needy, desperate people. And again, I invite you to do it. I hope we blow that $50,000 mark out of the water because of what God is doing among us. We're going to serve the local region primarily in this way, showing people the love of Jesus, helping them grow and develop, leading them into faith in him. Secondly, we have an international component of our vision. Uh, we've been in Nicaragua for more than 20 years, and we have been blessing who? The poor and the needy. What a, what a, what a country of incredible need. And we want to carry that on in significant ways. If we become a church of 12 to 1,500 people, we want to do the same thing in many locations, not just in Nicaragua. Of course, we'll hold on to that and, and pour our lives into it still. Uh, but we will have two, a two-fold focus in each of these locations. We will be enabling the national people to lead their own communities and their own churches, which is what we're doing right now in Nicaragua, so that the Nicaraguans themselves can bring the kingdom of God in all areas of life. And we will support Christian education, which we're doing right now as teachers in Christian schools in Nicaragua are being taught how to teach. You know, most of them have a grade six education. And they need to be taught and to be trained so that they can bring the reality of a good education with a Christian worldview into the minds and the lives of their children. And then, you know what? We also want to have a, um, uh, a, a friendship program uh, with a Nicaraguan church and others as time comes along. And that, that partnership that we will develop with a church in Nicaragua and otherwise, it's not about money. It's about praying for each other and supporting each other and loving one another in the name of Jesus. We may have exchanges with people from those congregations. And lastly, I just want to mention this. We want everyone here to go on a mission trip, if you're able. Because mission trips change people's lives it causes, it causes a person to see need and to want to help. It puts it in their heart, and it causes them to see themselves as someone who is able to serve in a significant way. And when they do it in Nicaragua, they come back here and they want to do it here too. So we want to subsidize folks who need to be subsidized. We want our people to go in large numbers uh, on mission trips. A third part of our uh, mission component is regional. Now, it's not up there at the moment, but it's a regional thing, and this is the big push to share Christ in our own region. My friends, Canada and Canadians need to know Christ in the way they don't right now. 
And we want to develop campuses in our region here in southwestern Ontario. We have the, who have the same vision, if you would, the same blueprint, the same DNA as us, led by our elders here, one church in many locations, the same dynamic creative worship, the same discipleship and family focus and excellence and leadership, the same prayer movement and the same heart for mission. We want to replicate ourselves in other locations. I want to tell you this. I was reading a very reputable source this week, and the projection, I want to tell you the projection that is made about how many churches will close in North America in the next 10 years. I feel like asking you to guess. Anybody guess? Give me a number. Too many. <laughs> Listen, 9,000 are projected to close in North America in the next 10 years. And I want to tell you, my friends, as the traditional church declines, and it is, and it is dying, I, I hate to say it, but that's the reality, somebody better be opening new churches to proclaim the message of Jesus to people who need to know him and believe in him and have their lives transformed by him. And we intend to do that. And I want to add one more thing here in, in terms of vision. It's not actually in the blueprint. It's actually in our actual vision, which is on the wall outside, and you can get a hold of easily. What we have to do, listen to me, this is the way I phrase it, we have to activate the growth engine of IPC. We have to get this church filled again, and then we need a second service filled again, and a third service filled again, and then all those campuses doing the same thing. So we have to activate the growth engine of IPC. What do you think the growth engine is? You know, in your mind, how do you think that might take place? Well, I want to tell you very, very simply, it is getting the people of God to share their stories of Jesus and what he has done and what he is doing in their lives. And I want to tell you this, this will take a miracle of God. This will take the movement of the Spirit of God in a profound way because for the most part, we don't. And we don't because we have been conditioned to not do this. But I want to tell you, my friends, we are going to give ourselves to this task and our vision is that preferable future. The, the dream that we have is that every single person who claims the name of Jesus is going to make it a priority to not only learn how, but to be sharing their experience of Christ, not their theology and not their doctrine. You don't need to be an expert to do this. You just need to tell people that, with whom you are in relationship who trust you who love you, man, this is what the Lord's doing in my life. So in the next two weeks, we're going to lay the foundation for that, some basic principles about sharing faith. And then in the fall, we're going to have a Sunday morning and life group campaign again where we're going to teach people how to share their stories and give them opportunity to do it so that we can get really good sharing our stories with one another because if we can do it with one another, we can do it with other people too. My friends, I want to tell you the future the future, if you would, it hinges on this. This is so incredibly important. Well, let me wind down a little bit. The book of Nehemiah. What is it that God is saying to us? What is it that God wants that just arises out of this text? Number one, God wants his glory to be seen again. God, God doesn't want to be hidden from the world anymore. He doesn't want to be invisible anymore, just as was the case then. He wants to be visible to the world, and God becomes visible to the world through his people. And he led Nehemiah to rebuild those walls and to reestablish community life in Jerusalem so that his glory could shine again, so that people could look at God's people. Surrounding nations could look at God's people and go, wow, their God must be an awesome God. 
And in the end of the day, we want to be a people through whom the glory of God shines brightly again so that the world can look at what we are doing and who we are and just be amazed at the reality of the God whom we know. And that way, people will come to faith in Jesus. And that way, people will see and know the Lord again. My parting challenge to you, I know we're going to have a meeting in a little while to which you were all invited, but in the end of the day, what it requires is what happened in this instance is that these people saw the vision and they gave themselves with passion to the rebuilding of the wall. It became the focus of their life. It became their commitment. They sacrificed for it. They worked hard to achieve it. They gave their lives to it. My prayer is that your life will get caught up in God's story. I'm going to say this almost bluntly. You can live your life Your lower story experience can have very little to do with the God story if you choose. I was thinking this morning, what's the legacy that was left by Nehemiah? We're reading about him thousands of years later. We're celebrating what he did. We're celebrating who he was. We're celebrating the commitment that he had. We're celebrating how God used used him. My friends, what will be your legacy? I want to tell you, you can know Christ and you can believe him with all your heart and your legacy can be that man, that woman spent their life just taking care of themselves and, you know, uh, as was the case in Nehemiah chapter 5, building up their resources and enjoying their life. It happens. But I want your legacy, I want our legacy someday when people look back at IPC to say, my goodness, there was a people who loved God and who gave themselves to accomplish the purposes of God as he called them to act on his behalf. So my challenge to you very simply is this. Will you dream the vision with us? Will you see what we see? And will you give yourself with conviction and with passion and with sacrifice and, yes, with joy so that God might do among us incredible things as he did so long ago? Let me pray. Gracious God, um, what a challenge this book brings to us. What an incredible challenge it is that, uh, that we, can, we can participate in what you're doing in this world. We can get caught up in it. We can find individually our own role in the, in, in the challenge, the task. And we can give our lives to that, to that process by which you are remaking this world, recreating it, restoring it. Lord, as the elders of this church have brought vision to this congregation, I pray that this congregation also will see the potential, the possibility, and that they will go after it with joy and with passion and with conviction not because the leaders of their congregation called them to it, but because they hear from you and they want to make their lives count. Gracious God, move among us by your spirit because we need you to move among us. Lead us, guide us, call us, and then enable us to do what you want us to do for you. And Lord, our prayer is that this world will be deeply impacted simply because we said yes to you. So Lord, work among us. Move us forward with strength, with power, and with conviction that we might become everything that we can become in you, that your glory might shine again. 
Lord, you're an incredible God. Lead us to be a faithful and an incredibly effective people for you. Lord, this we pray in Jesus' name.